This morning's first reading comes from 1 Corinthians 12. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. From Acts 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. From James 5, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. In the 18th century, the world's most famous philosopher was a, a Scottish professor named David Hume. Now, well, so being the world's most famous philosopher is a little bit like being the tallest kindergartner. It's like, great, good job. But in 1748, he, he wrote an essay on miracles that became the most important work on the topic for, for generations. And Hume, Hume was, was not a believer, and he stated that because there has never been a, a true miracle that's been publicly witnessed and scientifically kind of validated, uh, we can assume that, that miracles have never happened don't ever happen, and therefore are, are, they cannot ever happen. Um, now, the problem with this was that, that Hume didn't do any research, and he never left Europe, uh, and his work on miracles has been, has been mostly rejected by, by scholars today. However, this, this sentiment remains the, the dominant viewpoint in the West today. So, so if you're ever tempted to think like belief in miracles equals dumb. Like that's, you have Hume to thank or not thank for that. All right. But listen, in 2011, a professor named Craig Keener, who did his PhD at Duke, he published a 1200 page book on the historical reliability of miracles from the ancient world all the way to the modern world. Joseph, will you hand me those books? This is, uh, these are not two books. This is one book that got so long that it was printed in, in two hardbacks. And so 1,200 pages 
of research, of examples, of stories, of healings from the New Testament era all the way up to the modern age from every continent on earth. I have not read the entire thing yet. The chapter that I read, though, had 520 footnotes. And so, like, if, if you know, belief in miracles equals dumb, I mean, like, my goodness, this is like an incredible work. It, it was uh, published in 2011. I think I said that. It won numerous awards, and it's used in universities and seminaries around the world. And I, I could take this, this time this morning to debate the reality and the trustworthiness of miracles, but I, I resonate with what Luther said about communion. I'd rather experience it than explain it. We could spend all day trying to explain it, trying to defend it. I'm not really going to do it. I, I want us to experience miracle, healing, faith as much as we can. And in one of his books, let me, let me tell you a story. This comes from one of the Keener books. Barbara Comiskey was a teenager in Chicago when she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. It quickly advanced from the age of 15 to 31. She spent an average of nine months a year in the hospital. At age 31, she became so seriously ill that her doctors agreed it was time to transfer her into hospice care and to send her home to pass away. Her surgeon, Dr. Harold Adolph, wrote, Barbara was one of the most hopelessly ill patients I ever saw. One diaphragm was completely paralyzed so that the lung was non-functional. The other worked less than 50%. She had a tracheotomy tube in her neck for breathing, always required extra oxygen. Her abdomen was swollen grotesquely because the muscles of her intestine did not work, nor would her bladder function. She had not been able to walk for seven years. And she was blind except for two small areas in each eye. The author Keener continues that her, her feet were, were pointed down and unable to rest flat on the floor. Her hands were curled up in balls against her wrists and they could only pry them open to, to scrape out the dead skin in her entire body. She spent her, her days curled up in the fetal position like a pretzel. Now, nonetheless, 31-year-old Barbara Comiskey was a believer. And she often said in the, in the few words she could speak, Jesus is my reason for living. She had a small Wesleyan church that cared for her, and her pastor visited her every weekday for four years. My guy. <laughs> One Sunday morning, two women from the church came by on their way to the service, and they brought with her some cards from the church to read to her. And as they did... Barbara heard a booming voice over her right shoulder say, My child, get up and walk. The two women could see Barbara was trying to speak, and so they rushed out to get the nurses. Meanwhile, Barbara sat up, put her feet flat on the ground, and stood up. She took out every tube that she could and pinned them to her hospital gown. She looked down and saw her feet flat on the ground, she looked and her hands were relaxed and perfectly coordinated. She suddenly realized another thing that she could see her hands and her feet. 
The friends and nurses returned and began to scream in terror. Barbara's parents had just arrived and began to scream as well. They demanded Barbara get back in bed, but she refused. She pressed her way out of the room, down the hallway, out of the hospital, and stood barefoot in the parking lot in the summer sun. Over the next few days, every doctor and surgeon she had ever seen came to the hospital to examine her. They removed the remaining tubes and found that everything was perfectly functioning. Dr. Adolph noted her breathing was normal. The diaphragms and lungs and intestines were functioning, functioning normally. And finally, one physician, Dr. Thomas Marshall, stated the, the medical group's verdict to Barbara. Barbara, I'll be the first to tell you, you are completely healed. I can also tell you that this is medically impossible you are now free to go out and live your life. That week, the Chicago Tribune featured her story. Barbara and her doctors were interviewed by TV stations, magazines, and for books. Her healing, all of the scans, all of the reports, pictures, and everything have been examined carefully. And believe it or not, this happened in June 1981. And over the last 40-plus years, Barbara has been MS-free, healthy, she got married, and she has grown into old age. She's now in her 70s, and she continues to be interviewed, along with the doctors that are still alive and her family members. It's perhaps the most well-documented healing in the modern world. Um, Father, I don't even know what to do with this. Lord, we know from your word that you are a healing God, a compassionate, all-powerful God. The stories like this one are, are in the hundreds or in the thousands. And I don't know how to explain it all, but I know that I want it. I want to experience it. I want our church to experience it. Father, would you open our eyes this morning and show us the ways that we have been more shaped by our secular culture than by the scriptures? Father, this, uh, this sermon makes no sense uh, if you don't show up. This is, this is one where we just need you, Lord. And, um, and if we can't feel uh, your presence, we're not going to get very far this morning. So would you increase my faith? Would you increase our faith for miracles, for healing? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, so for the last six weeks, we've been studying the Holy Spirit, and we've been seeking life in the Spirit. Last week, I did a, an introduction to, to spiritual gifts and now we're going to focus in on the first few gifts that we see. It's a trio of gifts mentioned in verses 9 and 10. And it's miraculous power, gifts of healing, and faith. So miracles, healing, and faith. And all I want to do this morning is ask two big questions. Why? Why does God do miracles? Why does God heal? And then how? How, how should we pursue healing? Like, really, how should we, as a, as a congregation, the people in this room, how should we think about this and how should we pursue healing? And so we'll start with the why. Why does God do miracles and, and healing at all? 
Last week we saw from 1 Corinthians 12 that spiritual gifts are given by God for the good of his church. We saw that the entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is involved in the giving of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not some other substance separate from God, but they are God working in us and through us for the good of other people, for the building up of the church, for God's glory and all the world. The spiritual gifts are God going public in and through our lives. And so if we want to embrace the giver, we need to embrace spiritual gifts. And if we reject spiritual gifts, we might end up rejecting the giver. Now, we'll start with miraculous powers. It's, it comes in, in verse 10, but the, the emphasis in the original Greek is, is not so much on the miracle itself, like the, the result or the incident, but it's on miraculous power. It's, it's on the power of God to do the miracle. And miraculous power is central to the biblical story. It's central to Christianity, to, to who we are as a people. When we think about it, in Genesis, God creates the world by just speaking it into existence. The whole Old Testament, you could look at almost any one of the narratives, any one of the characters, from Joseph to, to Moses, Samson, Gideon, Elijah, David, Jonah. Look, look anywhere in the Old Testament, and within a couple of pages, you're going to find a miracle. You see God releasing, liberating his people through his miraculous power. In the New Testament, the Son of God comes to earth as, as a child, as a baby, into the womb of an unmarried poor woman. Throughout his life, Jesus' miracles just leap off the page. He turns water into wine. He, he walks on water. He multiplies you know, the, the bread and the fish. He's casting out demons. His, his favorite type of miracles are healings, and we'll get to that in a moment. You can't look at the life of Jesus and not see miraculous power. And then the central event of Christianity, like the one thing you need to believe as a Christian is that Jesus rose from the dead, the ultimate miracle. If you keep going in Acts, you see the early church, it starts with an earthquake and a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. We saw that a few weeks ago. And then the early church, Jesus' followers, they go and they do everything that Jesus had been doing. I mean, they heal people. They restore sight to the blind. They cast out demons. They even see dead people raised. Jesus' followers continue to do Jesus' miracles. And so in what sense is miraculous power an example of a spiritual gift? It doesn't feel like how we normally think about spiritual gifts. Again, the emphasis is on what God is doing by his power. And in most of the biblical examples I've just given, God's power is given not just for, for like a display of power, but so that someone is encouraged, someone is restored, someone is equipped, somebody is healed. Miracles are always a combination of divine power and divine mercy. It's like if you had a Venn diagram, it's like divine power, divine mercy, that little sliver in the middle, that's God's miraculous healing power. Now, you know, even in the formation of this little church, minor miracles have taken place. 
I could tell you stories of, of raising funds where we had a very specific target of, of money that we needed and it came in to the dollar like the day before we needed it to. My favorite story, though, was six years ago. Jesse and I had, had just decided internally with the, with the help of a few mentors that we were going to return home and plant a church in Columbia, Missouri. But like we hadn't told hardly anyone. Uh, because of my role in the church and kind of the nature of things that were happening there, we just hadn't been able to tell anybody yet. But our friends, Mark and Allison, maybe you've heard of them, texted us, called us, asked us to meet them for dinner. And they kind of shared stuff that God was doing in their hearts, and, and they felt like God was, was calling them to move back to Missouri to take regular, ordinary jobs, but to serve in a church plant in particular but ideally among young people, like maybe in a college town, but they didn't want to do it with just anybody. They wanted to have a relational connection to the people. So it was like, I know that's a long shot, but does anything come to mind? <laughs> like, well, there's one thing. <laughs> just a few days or maybe a, a couple weeks later, our friend Lindsay called Jesse and said, I, I am wrestling with this thing. I just got my dream job offer. The only problem is it's six hours away in Columbia, Missouri. I really feel like I should take it. But do you, I know you're from that area. Do you know of any good churches there? We know of one. It's kind of small. There's five of us now. And our God is a God of miraculous power. And I don't want us to discount the things that are, are small and you could just pass them off as coincidences. I know for sure that the more that we step out in, in faith, and not just vocational ministry stuff, but the more that we step out in faith to, to serve other people and to build up the church, the more we see, the more we witness God's miraculous power in and around us. Now, the most common form of, of miracle in the Bible, it's healing. So that's what we look at next. The, the phrase that Paul uses here is gifts of healing. So gifts, plural. It's actually the only spiritual gift that, that comes to us in this passage in the plural. And I think that's significant. I think it suggests that there's not one gift of healing that somebody gets because we know that, that nobody can go around and just heal everybody all the time. No, none of the apostles could even do that. But instead, God gives gifts of healing to the church, moments and, and experiences of healing to the church. And these are true gifts. These are gifts from the Holy Spirit. A healing is supernatural evidence of his grace that's come to relieve some real suffering. And again, we see healings all over the pages of the Bible. I, I had examples from the Old Testament, but we've got to get to this incredible baptism but you especially see them in the life of Jesus and in the book of Acts. I mean, Luke 4 says, The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people screaming, You are the Son of God. Now, my, my personal favorite comes in John chapter 11. Jesus is, is out teaching. You remember the sisters, Martha and Mary, they come to him and they find him and they say, Jesus, our, our brother Lazarus, the one you love has fallen sick. 
Come and pray for him that he might become well. And Jesus essentially brushes them off. He, he actually doesn't do anything, but it says that he continued to teach where he was for two more days. Now, finally, Jesus tells his disciples, look, we're going to go down near Jerusalem, which is where people are waiting for him to arrest him and kill him. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And the text says the disciples don't get it. They're like, literally, Jesus, if he's asleep, that's, is that really like worth the trip, you know? And so they didn't understand what he was talking about. But they make the trip down there. When they arrive, Martha comes running out. And she says, teacher, if you would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. But at this point, he had been in the tomb for several days. Mary didn't even, didn't even come out to greet Jesus. And Jesus engages Martha in conversation. And Martha has this incredible moment of faith where she says, I believe in the resurrection. I believe you can raise him from the dead. I believe you are the son of God. I mean, Martha gets a bad rap for the whole Luke 10 thing where she's like working too much and Jesus rebukes her. But Martha, in this moment, this is one of the most incredible acts of faith by anyone in the New Testament. So if you're named Martha or you name somebody Martha, you're good. Don't let any of those Marys mess with you. And so Jesus arrives to a funeral service. People have gathered and they're mourning and they're grieving. And in the tombs in those days, they would actually do a, a two-step burial process. So the first one was placing a body wrapped up like a mummy in an open tomb for a couple of weeks. And Jesus arrives and it says that he begins to weep. It actually says that, that the Israelites that were there said, look how he loved this man. And the skeptics, it said, were looking on and said, he can heal those who are sick, but he could not keep his friend alive. Why did Jesus cry? I mean, knowing what he was about to do, spoiler alert, if you don't know the story, why would he weep? It says that he was deeply distressed in his spirit. Literally, the Greek means that his, his intestines were like churning with pain and a deep compassion welled up within him. I'll be honest, if I was about to raise somebody from the dead, I think I would, like, I just know myself, and I would be way too excited about it to feel something this deeply. I would have my sunglasses on. I would pop my collar. I'd be like, is everybody here? It's going to be good. But Jesus is overcome with grief. I mean, nobody is weeping as hard as Jesus in this moment, and he knows he's going to heal him. Now, what does that say but that Jesus feels the same way for each one of us? When we are experiencing real suffering, real brokenness, he knows in, in the very end we're going to be all right. He's going to raise us up in, in the resurrection and give us eternal life, but he still is brokenhearted over what you're going through. Isn't it amazing to have a God who can feel all of that, have all of that compassion for you, and actually have the power to raise you from the dead as well? So Jesus, in a loud voice, calls into the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. It says the dead man came on out, unwrapping his grave cloths, and he went free. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he will live. I love that. Now, I put the passage of Acts 8 in your bulletin as well, and we won't look at it in detail, but we can clearly see that the healing power of Jesus now exists in the first century through the lives of his followers, walking and living out everything that he had taught them to do and the authority that he had given them in the Great Commission. He sends his followers out to continue his healing ministry. And so Jesus' healing power is not absent from this world, but rather it comes to us and through us as spiritual gifts. All right, here's the third thing, faith. There are three types of faith that are described in the scriptures. The first and most common one is is saving faith, where we believe in Jesus and we are forgiven of our sins and given new life. There is continuing faith or persevering faith, which is the the trust that we have in God that grows over time as, as we're sanctified and formed into Christ's image. And then the third category is usually called charismatic faith. And charismata, remember, that just means spiritual gift. And so this is the spiritual gift of faith. And it, it seems like this is referring to an extraordinary amount of faith for miracles and healing. This is one of the gifts that God gives to his people. Now, over and over and over in the New Testament, we see a connection between healing and faith. Remember, Jesus praised Martha's faith in John 11. Others are healed because of their faith. Mark 6 says that Jesus could do no miracles in Nazareth because they had no faith. It's why Jesus asks a sick person in Matthew 9, do you believe I am able to heal you? And he makes the person just vocalize their belief that Jesus is able to heal. Or in Mark 10, Jesus asks a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? He's looking for faith. And the blind man doesn't answer, I'd really like some perspective on this. He asks for healing. Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. See, miraculous powers, gifts of healing, faith. Man, there's so much more I I could say. But again, I got to keep moving a little bit. But I want to come back to that, that question of why. Why does God heal? Why does he do any of this at all? Well, healings, they're they're always an act of restoration. Healings aren't just something nice. Miracles are, are rarely just some display of power for the sake of it, but miracles are almost always healings that restore someone or something to the way it was meant to be. There weren't supposed to be blind people. But because of original sin and because of the fall, There are, and so Jesus restores sight. There wasn't never supposed to be leprosy, so Jesus cleanses the lepers. There wasn't supposed to be death, and so Jesus occasionally raises the dead. Every instance of healing in the New Testament is, is a restoration of what life was meant to be like. Jesse was reading over my sermon last night, and I had the definition of miracle or of healing that I gave you earlier, which is that it's a supernatural evidence of God's grace to relieve some suffering. And she said, yeah, it's like heaven breaking through. I was like, oh, shoot, that's better. I'm like writing it down so she doesn't see it. But it's heaven breaking through. It's exactly what it is. 
And healings show the heart of God. I mean, it doesn't have to heal. Christianity is not totally dependent on us being healed from time to time, but God just wants to heal sometimes. Because his heart is filled with compassion for the weak, the hurting, the injured, the diseased, the demonized, even the dead. And we don't understand all the dynamics, but sometimes in his perfect will and his wisdom, he pours out these gifts of healing. I mean, this is such good news for us. I want you to feel that this is such good news, that this is possible. And so miracles are, they're all throughout our shared history as believers. Jesus healed out of divine compassion. The early church continued to walk in Jesus' healing ministry. So what about us? How, how do we live into this? How do we practice healing as a congregation? You look at James 5 in your bulletin again. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. We could look at other scriptures of, if we had time to see that elders are uniquely called to this, but it's not just elders that are given spiritual gifts of, of healing or, or might experience them. Oil simply represents the presence of the, the Holy Spirit. But as I've said before throughout this series, there, there are word churches and, and spirit churches, and they kind of do things a little bit differently. You remember that? This is one of those points where they are like very, very different. Because imagine you're, you're sick and you're in a word church and the, the, the pastors come over. It's, gonna, it's maybe going to go something like this. Father, we pray for this sick person. Would you heal them? We know you normally don't heal people. So we pray that even if you don't heal, which is, which is the likelihood... We just want to pray for increased perspective and faith and humility out of this person. So, Lord, would you, would you just give them some perspective on this? Amen. Now, if that's me, I'm like, come on, bro. Like, I am suffering. Really pray for me. I mean, they're, they're hedging their prayers. They're so expectant that God will not heal. Like we're called to be expectant, but there's an expectancy that God will not heal that often guides our prayers. Now, what about spirit churches? Spirit churches can often make the opposite error. You all know I've spent half my life in word churches, half my life in spirit churches. I equally make fun of both. I think I work really hard to equally tease everybody that's a Christian, except the Baptist, because that's such low-hanging fruit. I always just feel bad. <laughs> Like, don't pick on the Baptists. That's so easy. Spirit churches, if you're sick, they might come in and say, in the name of Jesus, who has power over all sickness and darkness, I pronounce you are healed. Are you healed? Like, no. Are you sure? All right, we'll try it again, you know. What about now? I don't think so. Oh, this is one of those progressive healings. This one's kicking in slow, but we know it's there. You're going to feel it tomorrow. So who's next? Come on up, you know. See, they're praying for healing, and I love that. But they can often misunderstand their role. We are not the healers. God is the healer. He might heal. He might not. And so while I make fun of both of these groups, we need to be able to learn from both. 
God is still healing today, and we are commanded to pursue and pray for healing. We learn that from the spirit churches. And yet healing is not our ultimate goal. It's not our ultimate aim. That's God himself. And we learn that from the word churches. And so how should we pursue healing? I want to I suggest and, and close by, by encouraging us to pray for two types of healing, physical healing and inner healing. Now, physical healing, it's easy to wonder why Miracles don't happen as much in the Western world as they do throughout the rest of the world. Our staff team was in St. Louis for a few days this week, and there was a conference of a, an international family of churches that was gathering, and, and it was a beautiful conference. It, it was so great, but there was a point where uh, a Nepali pastor came up to, to share a report from, from the churches in Nepal, and, and he told of how just 70 years ago, there were only a handful of believers in Nepal. But today, there are over a million and as many as, as three million believers in Nepal. In one generation, that's what God has done. And he said, in his experience, 60% of all people that put their faith in Christ there do so because of a healing. Because either they were healed or they witnessed a healing or a healing in their immediate family. 60% of conversions rooted in God's miraculous healing power. And what he said was that you, you all, you Westerners, you, you don't need healing like we need healing. You have a great healthcare system. We don't have a doctor in our village. We don't have a health clinic anywhere in our region. If we get sick, we die. And so we need healing and we pray with desperation for healing. And he said, I love this. He said, if you want to see healing, just come to Nepal. It's like, bro, I want to so bad. It was funny, at one time he prayed in Nepalese over the congregation. I thought he was praying in tongues. It was a charismatic conference. I don't know why I'm mentioning that. I was like, whoa, he is really getting after it up there. I'm cool with it. And then later I was in the restroom and one guy was like, man, I just love when so-and-so prays in his, in his native language. And I was like, oh, I don't know, you know. But for us here, this is not a way of me saying, let's not pray for physical healing. Look, I'll pray for a sinus infection. You have a sinus infection. I'll pray for that. You'll probably get better in two weeks. And that means I can take a little bit of credit for it, right? No, no. But where I want to encourage you is, is those things that just don't make any sense. Like those physical conditions that you feel like you just shouldn't have. Doctors can't figure them out. And they're, they're just persisting. And they're zapping all of the life out of you. Those are the places where I most want to pray for physical healing. I'm talking about chronic illness, cancer, infertility. I mean, real, real deep, painful, heartbreaking things. I want to gather around you with all the faith that we can muster, calling the elders and getting the oil, and we will pray over you for healing. The last thing is, is inner healing. And just as frequently, I want to I encourage us as a people to pray for one another for emotional, relational, and spiritual healing. I want to I encourage you to just, just take a moment and just consider what are those things in your life 
where you have longed for God to break through, what are the, what are the sore spots? I know it's hard to go there, but what are some of those wounds that if you could just get healing in this area? Maybe you've struggled with depression or anxiety for many years. Maybe your marriage feels like it's hanging on by a thread. Or you have a child that's, that's rebellious or breaking your heart or far from the Lord. Maybe you've been severely mistreated and wounded by somebody else. Maybe you struggle with body image and disordered eating. Or you have these intrusive thoughts, just voices that tell you you're a terrible person and nobody cares about you. Or maybe you just feel so far from God that you long for spiritual healing and renewal. Again, I know this is hard. This is heavy work. I want to encourage you to actually make a list. Like sometime later this week, make a list of the areas where you are longing for healing to break through in your life. Look, we believe that God is constantly working through process, slow, ordinary process, but he also works through breakthrough. I'll share with you my list. I want to be free from this this four-month-long sickness I've been dealing with, fatigue and chest pain. I want to be free from 20 years of a struggle with depression. I have never slept well, ever. Like, Lord, would you heal my sleep? And I don't think my brother and, uh, I'm sorry, my sister and her husband, brother-in-law, know the Lord. And I, I desperately long for them to walk with him. My three boys, I cannot imagine the pain if they don't follow the Lord growing up. And I, I constantly find my identity in performance and success and the approval of others, and I so struggle to just believe that God loves me. That's my list. Six things. So I'm saying, Lord, heal these things. These are my, my sore spots, and there are probably, there are probably a few others, but, but Lord, I long for your healing presence. I long for you to break through into my life. I cannot do this on my own. The things that I'm doing, the things that I've tried, they have not worked in the way that I hoped they would. And it's good to long for healing. You know, people in the New Testament are they're, they're frequently commended for their faith in relationship to healing, but none of them ever expect it. Like they're as surprised as anyone that Jesus just said, your faith is awesome. They don't feel like they have a lot of faith. They just feel desperate. They're just incredibly needy, and so they fall down at the feet of Jesus. And desperation, as we often say, is one of the best places you can be spiritually. Jesus can do something with desperation. Jesus rewards desperation. Draw near to God, James 4, and he will draw near to you. I often think of a, a pitcher of water, and when you fill it up, it's the lowest places that are, that are filled first. It's the same way in the church. It's those who are the lowest, the humblest, the weakest, the ones with the biggest needs. They're the ones that get the first bit of God's cleansing mercy. First to be healed, restored, and filled. So today we've asked 
more leaders than normal. We always have leaders in the back to pray with you after the sermon and during communion. We've asked more than normal to be back there. We basically feel like every, every one of you would be so blessed if you prayed with somebody today. It doesn't have to be one of the leaders in the back, although I hope, I hope that it might be for you. It could be the person that you came with, a spouse or, or a friend. It might be later in the day or, or even later in the week. I would love for you to bring some of this into community group as much as you're willing to bring. You don't have to share the whole list if you're not comfortable with that. But I don't know that anybody's healed in the Bible without the use of a human being, right? And God can do it whenever he wants, but I think he always uses another human being. The healing that you most long for, it's probably going to come in and through community. So if you're part of one of our community groups, that is one of the safest places to be, to have people pray for you. Desperately seek it, ask for it. Don't give up until you've received it. Remember I said earlier that all healing is a restoration of the original design. That's not the only thing. We know that one day a resurrection is coming because like Lazarus, Jesus got up from the grave and woke out and walked out. And and unlike Lazarus, he never died again. Jesus is alive. His healing, miraculous power is still working in the world. And he promises us that one day a future resurrection is coming. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, they will live on for all eternity. A day is coming when all of your pains, all of those wounds and sore spots, they will all be healed. You will be made new and complete. You will be healed. The question is not if God heals, but when he heals. And as a church, we don't pray and people are healed. We pray until people are healed. And if it's not until the new creation comes, then, then praise God. We're going to be faithful until that moment. We will pray until people are healed. Actually, why don't you go ahead and stand up with me and we'll, we'll close in prayer. I want to encourage you Maybe just with your eyes closed to, to think about that, that list that perhaps you're already forming. Those sore spots, those places where you long for healing. Perhaps even see the Lord Jesus in front of you. And perhaps he says to you, what do you want me to do for you? My child, my friend, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What do you want me to do for you? What do you you ask for? What do you seek? Our God is a healing God. He's a wise God. He gives us often not exactly what we want or when we want it, but he gives us what we most need because he is doing something in us. Our God is not interested in superficial healing. He's interested in supernatural healing. And so, Father God, we come before you as your children in in desperate need of healing in so many different ways. 
there's a heaviness and there are pains in this room that I can't even fathom. Even the, the ones that I do know about are overwhelming, Lord. We cry out to you, heal us, Emmanuel, heal us. I pray that you would give us faith and courage to lay hands on one another and pray for inner healing, pray for physical healing. We're not going to get it right, and that's, that's not the test of faithfulness. It's, it's just being faithful. That's, that's what you ask for. It's obedience. And so, Lord, would you stir up the faith that, that we can barely muster up ourselves. Let desperation be a good thing in our midst. God, we would just love for you to heal us. Those deep places in our lives that that we so rarely bring to the surface, Lord, we set them before you and say, heal us. We pray for one another and lay hands on each other and say, Lord, we ask for healing on our brother or sister. We need you, God. Lord, we love you so much. We trust you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.